God, we love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise in this place. God, I'm excited about what you're doing in our church and I'm excited about how we're moving forward. And God, I just pray that you would already begin to speak to each and every one of us and, and uh, just show us what we can do uh, to help us in this building campaign, this building project for our floors, God. God, I just pray this morning, though, as we, as we dive into the word and as we talk about your spirit, as we finish up our three-in-one series, that you would, you would speak through me, God. I don't want the words to be my words. I want them to be your words for your people on your day, God. God, we love you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, we are finishing this morning our three-week series called Three in One, uh, and we've been talking about the Trinity, uh, and we've been talking about really the character of God. Who is this God that we love, and if, if we really do love and believe in this God, then how do, we, how do we actually live this out? How do we live what we say we believe? Because if we believe it, it needs to, there needs to be something that shows that in our lives. I've told you about the, the ex-evangelicals and the rise of the nuns and all these people who are leaving the church and leaving Christianity because they see people who claim to believe but don't live what they claim they believe. And I don't want that to be this church. I don't want that to be this church. I, I want our church to be a church that lives what we claim to believe and makes a difference in our community. And so we have gone through the last few weeks talking about the, the first, or the last two weeks, talking about the first two persons of the Trinity, God the Father and Jesus the Son. And God the Father, we talked about how God is holy, that God is eternal, that God is all-knowing, and that is not necessarily a scary thing because God, even though He is all-knowing, still wants a relationship with you, still loves you for who you are. And this is, this is a powerful truth in our lives. And last week, we talked about Jesus as the Good Shepherd that the Good Shepherd leads us, the Good Shepherd calls us by name, the Good Shepherd guides us. And, and this week, we dive into the last, the last part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is, <clears throat> I think, one of the most foundational pieces of our faith. And I think it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to explain, it's hard to, to kind of see it working, but the Holy Spirit is so essential to who we are as Christians. And if we want to grow in any sense of the word, we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, I, I was at District Assembly last week, or this last week, and uh, on Thursday night, uh, Rob Songer, uh, who will be here next week preaching for us, and uh, he, he gave us some statistics over the Church of the Nazarene. I want to just read those to you real quick. He said, over the last 10 years, the Church of the Nazarene in South America has grown by 90%. In Africa, the Church of the Nazarene has grown by 93%. In Europe and Asia, the, the Church of the Nazarene has grown by 138%. The Church of the Nazarene in America over the last 10 years has declined 3.45%. Over the last 25 years, the Church of the Nazarene in America has planted 2,471 churches, and we have closed 2,587 churches. 
Now, I, I, don't, I haven't done the research into knowing why exactly this is. I think I have a pretty good idea, though. I'm not sure that the Nazarene church, especially in our country or any churches, that this is not just a, a Nazarene trend. This is a denominational trend in this country. I think we have stopped relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have tried to do it on our own. We've held on to so many things and missed out on some things that God is calling us towards, I think. You look in these churches in Africa, and actually our general superintendent who was presiding over district assembly, he, he was just elected. He is from Africa. And in the excitement in which he speaks about his church at home is just, it's tangible. You can, you can just, you know that it's real. You know that the Spirit is moving in Africa. You know the Spirit is moving in all these places. It has to be for the churches in, in Europe and Asia to, to more than double in 10 years. I mean, it's just, it's just wild to me. And, and yet the church in America is struggling. And I think reliance on the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with it. And so I want to just talk this morning about the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and maybe we get a little nervous. You know, we, we know of the Holy Spirit. We have name recognition of the Holy Spirit. But if I were to ask you, what role has the Holy Spirit played in your life this week? What role has the Holy Spirit played in your life this last month or this last year or this last five years, this last ten years? What role has the Holy Spirit played in your life? I might not get as many, as many good answers. I think we, we don't rely on the Holy Spirit as much as we should. But here's the crazy thing. If you were to hypothetically grow up on a deserted island knowing how to read and all you had was the Bible... And you were rescued 20 years later and you went to a church, particularly here in this country, you would be shocked for a lot of different reasons. But mostly because after reading only Scripture for 20 years and knowing only Scripture for that long, you would be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit is so essential to our lives as Christians. You cannot read this book and not know that the Holy Spirit is, is so essential to who we are. It, it cannot be done. I mean, after reading Scripture, you would be able to know of the disciples and, and the miracles they were able to do and the, the healings that they were able to do and the difference they were able to make. Even after Jesus left, you would know that this is the Spirit's power at work in the disciples. You would see the early church and you would see that their lives don't look the same after they have met with Jesus, after they, after they have known, after they have claimed to follow Him and they have the Spirit in them. You would know that their lives look completely different and you would know that the the Holy Spirit is so essential to anything that happens in Scripture I think the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood pieces of our faith just in general I think again we have we know it we have name recognition but but if we want to to live what we believe we need to have a grasp of what the Holy Spirit means to us, how the Holy Spirit works in and through us, and what the Holy Spirit's role is in our life. I think uh, we're going to look at two passages today, maybe three if I have enough time. 
John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 is where we're going to start here. Uh, if you were in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 764, John chapter 14 <coughs> and John chapter 16. You don't have to turn a page if you're in the pew Bible, they're on opposite pages there. So I'm going to start reading John chapter 14, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Move over to John chapter 16 with me, starting at verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Again, Jesus is addressing his disciples before he is, he is taken away uh, to be crucified. Very truly, well it's a little bit before that, but he, he knows he's kind of telling them what's going to happen. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now this is Jesus himself talking to his disciples and teaching them about this, this spirit that is to come. This, this spirit that is to come. And again, I just want to, in one sermon, I can only really scratch the surface of what the Holy Spirit is. But I want to attempt today. And I want to just, just talk, who is the Holy Spirit? And what is its role in my life and in your life? I want to start with just the word itself, because the word itself is interesting, right? We, we read in, in my Bible, in the few Bibles, it says the advocate. It calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. And, and some other, in some other translation, it says the comforter or the helper or the companion. Uh, but, but both of the passages that I read today said advocate. And, and there's a Greek word, though, and it's called the para, parakletos. That's the Greek word for the Holy Spirit that is used here. And, that, and I just want to break that down for you. Para in Greek means very close. It's the kind of relationship that you would, you would talk about with, with a family member, with someone that is in a really close relationship with you. And, and, and kaleo is the root word for this other. And it says to be called or beckoned. You know, when the disciples get their, their calling this is the word that is used. When Paul says that he is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, this is the word that is used. This is, there's thoughts of, of destiny and action in this word. 
And you can see that, that Jesus, this, this together they, may, they paint a great picture of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is called closely alongside each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is called closely along each and every one of us, and He journeys with us forever. And in fact, in, in chapter 14, verse 7, it tells you exactly how close the Spirit is going to come. It says that He will be in you. That the Spirit is, is in you. If you, have, <coughs> if you have accepted Christ and the Spirit of God is living in you and comforting you, He is close by you. There's another word, I know I just talked about the advocate, but the word the here is very important as well because of the tense that it uses. The, the word the here in the Greek is, <coughs> excuse me, it's alas, and it means the same one. The same one. Now why is this important? You gotta, he's talking with the disciples here who, who he has been with. He has been their comforter. He has been there. He has been close to them. He is, he is the one that called them. He is there. He is physically with them. And he's telling them, it's, it's better that I go, because if I go, I will send the same spirit. I will send the same comfort. I will send the same helper. I will send the same companion. He's saying, this Holy Spirit and me are a lot alike. In fact, we're not just a lot alike. We are the same. This Spirit that, that, you, will, that you will have in you is like if you had me with you. And we wonder why, just a few verses up in chapter 14 and verse 12, that it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than them, because I am going to the Father. Now that on its face does not make sense. If you were just to read that verse out of context, and you just, how am I going to do the same things that Jesus did? Jesus was God. Jesus had the power over, over nature. He had the power over, over all kinds of things. I don't have that power. But here's Jesus telling his disciples, you're going to do the same things that I was doing. In fact, you'll do even greater things than me. Now, why does this make sense after reading this? Because they are going to have Jesus in them. They have the Spirit of God within them, dwelling in them, and they will be empowered by the Spirit to do the same things that Jesus is doing, and in fact, even greater things than Jesus is doing, Jesus says. Man, this is, the, the Spirit lives in us, and the realization that the Holy Spirit lives in us should change some things. And it did change some things for the disciples it took them a while, but they, they got it. And you can see why the Holy Spirit is so essential to our Christian life. It should change things for us. If we say we've received the Spirit, sometimes our lives look no different than, than before we received the Spirit. Now, if I was to tell you that I had an encounter with God and God told me, that I, and God, God gifted me, and he said, you're going to be the greatest golfer or the greatest basketball player, the greatest whatever in the world. And, and, and you were watching me, and you noticed that my skill is no different from before as it is now after God has told me I'm going to be the greatest, and he has gifted me with this. You would begin to doubt me. You would begin to say that he didn't really have 
that encounter with God. That wasn't a real thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes we, we talk about how we have received the Holy Spirit, but our lives don't look any different. And we wonder why people doubt. We wonder why there's the rise of the nuns and the rise of the ex-evangelicals. They don't see it. There should be a difference, and oftentimes there's not. So what should it look like? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in my life? Who, who is this Spirit, and, and, and how, can he, how can He change me? How can I allow the Spirit to change my life? And I think Scripture, even the Scripture that we read, gives us some great hints. Right, we read in, in chapter 16, uh, we'll go back and read that again, verse 7 through 11. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Here is a role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is in our lives to convict us. This is what he means when, when, he, when we say the, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. He will convict us. He will, he will convict the world to be wrong in these three areas and to be wrong about sin. He will convict us of our sin. Sin, the, the Greek word for, for sin is amartia. It just means missing the mark. He will convict us of our sin. And the Holy Spirit, I just, I just want you to understand this as we continue here. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, does not make you perfect. He makes you aware of your sin, and he calls you to change. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, he does not, the Holy Spirit is not removing your sin just because he is convicting you of it. The Holy Spirit is calling you to change the way that you are living, to change the way of life where the sin is, is there. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of our righteousness. Righteousness is inward and outward obedience to God. He convicts us of our righteousness, convicts us in the moments of of weakness, and he drives us to live righteous lives. I I know there's instances in my own life where I look back and I feel convicted about things that I did that weren't necessarily wrong, but they weren't what God was calling me to do. There's been times where I've passed by people on the street or passed by people in a store and God is, is telling me, hey, you need, to, you need to talk to them, you need to pray for them, you need to go and, and hang out with them for a little bit and I, I just move on by. And as I do that, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit convicting me of my righteousness, convicting me of, of thinking I'm better than I am and not living the way that God is calling me to live. He convicts us of righteousness and he convicts us of judgment. Now that's just an interesting kind of sentence. He's convicting us of judgment. And I heard, I, I read somewhere that he's, con- he's convicting us not in a sense of our own judgment, but in our lack thereof of judgment in Christ. Because there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, as Paul would say 
in Romans. But I want us to make no mistake that judgment is a very real thing. And judgment is, is coming. And, and, and the scripture is clear that we will be judged. If you go back a few gospels to Matthew chapter 25, if you're in our pew Bibles, page 702, Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31, it, it makes it really clear that judgment is, is coming, that we will be judged. Here's what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. I'm sorry. Yeah, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for, the, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say unto those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to enter eternal life. There will be, at a point in our lives, judgment. Jesus says he convicts us of judgment because the ruler of this world has already been condemned. I think the Holy Spirit convicts us and pushes us towards this sense of urgency. The spirit of this world, the prince of this world, is already, already stands condemned. We have won, but there will be judgment. There's a sense of urgency that comes when we realize that every single person we meet on the street is in this story. They are either on the left or they are on the right. And it's our responsibility to go and to bring them to the side of eternal life. He convicts us of judgment. Another thing that the Spirit does is He guides us. gives us guidance. In John chapter 16, He says that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. Here's Here's a question for you this morning that I've been struggling with this week as I've been preparing. If every Christian in the world looked like you, what would Christianity look like today? If every Christian in the world looked like you, what would Christianity look like today? See, here's the problem. Often we 
We try and lead our own lives and go our own way without stopping to ask the Holy Spirit, where would you guide me? Where would you direct me? Where would you have me to go? And Scripture is full of examples of people led by the Spirit doing some amazing things, even sometimes some supernatural things. People who who go and try and do their own thing in Scripture often don't do so well. Jonah gets swallowed by a whale for doing his own thing. Man, I give more examples of people who go and try and do their own thing, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work because we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, how are we led by the Holy Spirit? Right, we need to be in prayer. And the kind of prayer that I was talking about in the first week, where, where we don't just come in and rush into the presence of God and, and just bombard Him with all of our words and then leave the presence of God, not letting Him in at all. By prayer, I mean being able to just sit in the presence of God, just stand in awe of who He is, and just be able to, to sit and to listen, and just to be in the presence of God and to seek His face. I was talking to another pastor this week from up, up north a little bit in Tulare, and not Tulare, uh, Turlock, it's the other T up north. And he said he was, he was talking to, he had a prayer conference at his church, and the guy said something that, that he said just changed me, it wrecked me. He said, he said, before we ever seek the hand of God, we need to seek the face of God. We need to just sit in awe of who God is and just pray for the presence of God in our lives before we ever seek the hand of God and ask him to, to carry us through something or to, to bring us something or to answer this request or that request. We need to be seeking the face of God. This, this is how we pray. We're led by the Spirit, not only through prayer, we're led by the Spirit through this book that I hold in my hands, and hopefully you do as well, this, this Bible. This Bible, even Scripture tells us that, that, that the Bible is alive and it is active. It has so much to teach us. We have so much to learn from this book. God wants to show us and reveal himself through this book. And we can be led by the Spirit as we dive into this book and seek the face of God for understanding. We just need to be in relationship with God. You will be led by the Spirit as you are in, as you are, you will only be led by the Spirit as you are close to the Spirit. You'll be led by the Spirit when you're close to the Spirit. And lastly, I do just want to go to this last verse because I don't want you to leave here not not hearing the fact that the Spirit doesn't just guide us and convict us, but the Spirit empowers you to live the life that God is calling you to live. Acts 1.8 says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We'll receive power. If you have received Christ 
and you have received the Holy Spirit by that choice, that you have not only received someone inside you that is going to, to comfort you and guide you and convict you, you have received the power of Christ, the power of God is within you, and this power enables you to go out and to witness, to go out and, and be an agent of change in the world, to go out and, and, and be an agent of the gospel, to invite people into this kingdom that we call our own. You've received power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I, I just, I, I find that just amazing. And everything we read about in Scripture, the miracles, the healings, all of that stuff that the disciples did, that, that normal people did. I mean, the disciples, think about this. The disciples were, were teaching and people, people had to actually think this thought like, these guys have to be real because these guys are just unschooled, ordinary men. But look at the authority that they teach with. Look at the power with which they speak. Look at, what, look at the power with which all these things happen in and around them. This has to be the power of Christ. And it was. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the kicker to all of this. And I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. But Jesus says it would be, it's good for you that I go. It's good that I go because if I don't go, I can't send the advocate. I can't send the Spirit. But if I go, I will send the Spirit. Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes here. Jesus, who they have just spent years of ministry with and, sur and surrounding, and granted, they have kind of a different idea of Jesus. They think that, that there's going to be kingdom here right now. But he has been there with them. He's done ministry with them. He's healed around them. He's done miracles around them. John Bevere writes a book. It's just called The Holy Spirit. And in this book, in, in the very first, uh, first chapter, he says this. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Your leader, who you know to be the Son of God, has just told you that he needs to leave you and that his departure is for your benefit. That would sound crazy to me. If he is God, wouldn't it be most to your benefit for him to stay? I'm sure the disciples were thinking the same thing. For this exact reason, Jesus prefaced this statement with, I tell you the truth. So why was it best for the disciples and the generations of believers to come, including you and me, that Jesus went away? Consider this. If Jesus never left the earth, then the Holy Spirit would never have come alongside us. If I wanted to receive something from Jesus, I would have to travel many miles just to see him. My journey would probably begin with a flight to Tel Aviv, which would be the busiest airport in the world. I would then need to rent a car, drive to Galilee, and hope to find some kind of decent accommodation. The hotels would be completely full. Then I'd have to find Jesus. It wouldn't be hard because millions of people would be waiting to speak with him. And after finding him, I'd have to wade through the most complex system of lines ever known to mankind because everyone would want to ask Jesus a question or present him with a request. Since there'd be such a long line, I would probably be limited to a maximum of 60 seconds with Jesus. So I would definitely need to have my questions or requests ready. And remember, he would need to sleep and eat. So he would have maybe a good 14 hours per day to give to the masses. At this rate, Jesus would be able to see 840 people a day if he spent 60 seconds with each person. It would therefore take Jesus 1,190 days, 3.26 years, to see a million people. But keep in mind that new people would be constantly be joining the stream. And, and what if there were a fast pass line for those who were with really urgent needs and requests? 
these people would always be going in front of me, right? I can think we can surmise that getting to Jesus would be nearly impossible and definitely improbable. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is always there for us. He doesn't have to sleep or eat. He can carry on billions of conversations at the same time with billions of different people. When we allow our understanding of the Holy Spirit to be radically transformed by the Word of God, we will begin to understand why Jesus could say, it is better for you that I go away. And aren't you glad that we have the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us that gift, that we have direct access to the holy, eternal, all-knowing God, that we have direct access to the good shepherd, that we have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit? If you believe that, it's time to go live like you believe that. You have the Holy Spirit in you. If you believe that, and if you claim that to be true, may there be such a difference in your life that people begin to ask you, what is different about you? People begin to look at you and, and just like the disciples, these are, these are un, this is just an ordinary person. How are they doing any of what they're doing? And you can just be able to say, because I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. May you go out and live what you believe about the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. God, this morning we... We open up your word and we read the words that Jesus, our good shepherd, tells us about the Holy Spirit. All that he does, all that he means to us, his role in our lives. And God, I just pray that we would leave this place so challenged and changed to actually live what we believe, that people see a difference knowing that we, have, we are living in and through the Holy Spirit. We're allowing the Spirit to convict us and guide us and empower us in our everyday life and that people can look at us and just say, that's an ordinary person. What is different about that person? Give us the opportunity to witness, God. Empower us to share the gospel. God, as we go forward, would you be with us? Be in our homes. Be in our workplaces be in our conversations, that we would honor and glorify you in everything that we do this week. God, we love you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, if you're new, every week we, we end with a blessing, and so if you would just have your hands out and just receive this. I know it might be awkward, but just receive this blessing. May God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit go with you, go ahead of you this week. May you live empowered by the Spirit. May people see a difference in you because you have the Spirit of God 
within you. May you go and make a difference in your community. May you be led by the Spirit this week. Go in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.